0: Thank you. Welcome back to Swiftly Speaking, folks. My name is Paul Hudson, and this time I have episode nine. My friend Meng To has come to talk to us all about SwiftUI, about designing for SwiftUI, coding for SwiftUI, and also design skills that developers should have to really improve their knowledge, improve the kind of apps they can put out there. I want to thank you all for coming along. You're here live on YouTube, which means you can ask Meng questions. I have stacks of my own questions to ask him, but we have a chat window as well. I encourage you to go ahead and post questions in there about those topics. UI coding, design, and design for developers. And I'll make sure and ask as many as I can to Meng. While I'm here, I want to thank my sponsor, Bitrise. They make it super easy to add CI, CD, signing, and way, way more to your iOS apps. Check them out at
1: bitrise.io. Meng, how are you doing? Great. Um, Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of uh, two straws with UI by example. (laughs) This is one of the top resources that I use when I'm creating my courses and also one of the top resources that my students use after or while uh, doing my courses. Well, I'm glad to hear here. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Thank you very much, although I I should say, you know, uh, flattering me means I'm not going to ask you any hard questions. That's not (laughs) how it works, you know, you're still going to get the tough questions coming along. Bring it on. (laughs) Well, let's start with, with you know, the, the design part of design code, getting into SwiftUI design, because um, SwiftUI is very, very different to what we had before in UIKit. Lots of folks are now coming to it and learning with SwiftUI.
1: What would you say makes SwiftUI so appealing to learners? So I've been teaching a lot of tools over the past six years. And one of the key things that I'm looking for when teaching is to teach in the least amount of steps possible. And that's kind of like what learners are looking for, is they don't want to switch between too many apps, too many uh, windows, too many steps. And uh, SwiftUI really brings that, you know, you only have your code and then you have your preview on the right side. And this is super important because you want to see the the results in real time. So whatever you, you change, and uh, you want to look at the least amount of code possible. It's very short, it's very expressive, and it's very easy to explain, especially from a UI perspective, hence why you have the UI in the Swift UI. Right.
0: So th- because it is concise, you can say, hey, this one modifier gets you the result you want. I guess so, folks can make progress more quickly and, and see the results of their work. Yes. But it seems also that Swift UI is particularly popular with designers who, you know, they weren't coders beforehand. They were designers doing Illustrator or Photoshop or something else. And they're coming to SwiftUI and thinking, actually, I can do this. So why do you think it's particularly appealing to designers?
1: So the thing about designers is that they're looking for something that is very closely related to, to a layout system. And a lot of designers, they know a little bit of CSS, they know a little bit of HTML, they know a little bit of uh, prototyping tools, and so when they look at the tool like Swift UI, which is to me feels like CSS reinvented in 2020, um, you know, you're talking about stacks, you're talking about grid, you're talking about uh, animations, states, so all of these things are very commonly related to the prototyping tools that they've been using, the Mm. CSS techniques. And, uh, you know, it feels very modern. And again, the preview is just beautiful. So for designers, um, you know, especially those who have used like Framer, for example, the the, the classic version of Framer, or uh, how to change from the beginning state to the end state in prototyping tools, or even now because of how design tools have become so sophisticated, uh, such as Figma, such as Sketch, Framer, uh, you can do so many things nowadays. Like it's only this year uh, that we started seeing this emergence of sophistication in terms of prototyping. You can now uh, prototype states, um, uh, micro interactions inside design tool, although it's definitely not as powerful as uh, SwiftUI. So to be able to do that in something that is as simple as a prototyping tool, but also using real code and to be able to collaborate better with uh engineers, I think that's the ultimate tool that a designer can hope for, uh, which really, really helps their their work. Absolutely. We have a question here from Platin21,
0: who asks, for design, should one be more bound by the platform for the look or how far can I really diverge? So we'll see some apps like uh, Gmail or Google Maps that have Google's material design, because that's Google's design across all platforms, no matter what you use. Whereas some others will say, actually, I'm on iOS, I want my apps to look and feel more like iOS. What's your take on that?
1: I would strongly advise to go with the platform first. Um, I think it's important to focus on quality, to focus on experience before spreading thin on multiple platforms. A lot of designers, they, they make the mistake to create a design that try to fit all or for developers to create a code that fits all. But, uh, you know, at sort of like at the mid-road, the designer will s- soon figure out that, well, you know, yes, it looks nice, but at the same time, there's always a trade-off. You know, instead of f- instead of that, you should be focusing on a platform um, and, and reduce the amount of steps, focus on quality, focus on the experience, really, you know, sponge the knowledge of the iOS guidelines. Because if you have three guidelines to look for, it's very different from having one guideline. If you have to satisfy three platforms, it's very different from having to satisfy one platform. So it's much better to do one thing the best first, and then if you see that there's a lot of people interested in your product, then you can say, okay, maybe it's time to expand. Maybe it's time to go to Android, maybe it's time to go to web as well. So that's how I would do it.
0: Yeah certainly i remember one of the very early things apple said about ipad is everyone knows how to use ipad because they've used iphone and ipad follows exactly the same guidelines as iphone so if you can use an iphone hey you can use an ipad and because it's just it's natural by that point point. and of course you can say you know it'll save us some time save us some money whatever it is to take one guideline apply it everywhere but then you'll just annoy almost everyone you know, Android users won't like it. iPhone users <laughs> won't like it. iPad users won't like it. We all feel grumpy. So at least, you know, take the time to specialize and, and make it really, really what right. Now, you mentioned web there in your answer. I know previously you've done a lot of work with web frameworks. How do you say Swift UI compares to web frameworks such as React?
1: So, if I look at Swift UI, it's, it's a lot closer to React than, you know, a UI Kit, for example. And the way that you uh, even code some of the, you know, the layout, the modifiers and stuff like that, uh, and also the way you code the animations is very different. Um, So, yes, you know, SwiftUI is much closer to React, which is why I believe there's such a popularity with SwiftUI right now, especially amongst people who are looking to learn iOS, right? Um, Those who have learned Swift in the past, they love, you know, Swift, they love the iOS platform. But the key is... How do we convince the rest of the audience? Those who those people who are con- who are considering uh, Flutter, who are considering Jetpack Compose, or React Native, or you know all sorts of platforms that you know uh, that does cl- cross platforms and whatnot. Well, how do we- convince them to use SwiftUI and the key to me is that you know you have SwiftUI I think it's a lot simpler it's a lot more modern it's um, you know it's made by Apple which means that it supports all of these uh, uh, SDKs and 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 powerful things that you can do in iOS and it's native so you know there's nothing you can ask more than that like the power of native cannot be understated and I, I, I suggest every designer, developers to really look at how you can build something in SwiftUI before judging it. Because a lot of people are there like, hey, you know, I want to wait a little bit for SwiftUI. I want to wait uh, because, you know, Flutter seems interesting. It's quite pl- cross-platform. Um, it has a lot of new ideas. But have you tried SwiftUI? That's the question. If you try it, please let me know because I love it. This is one of the best things I've used at least over the past uh, five, six years for sure. Hmm.
0: Certainly there are some uh, developers who say, you know, don't learn JavaScript. It's not a nice language or whatever, but actually it's done a lot to inspire other languages, including Swift. As you say, SwiftUI does build on lots of the same concepts that really took off in React. And we should be very grateful to that community for inspiring this kind of work and and letting us take ideas from there. Would Would you say that we had seen similar levels of interest from designers for React, or was it just the level for them they were interested
1: well you brought up a great point react definitely inspired uh, Swift UI in my opinion um, to me as a designer um, I always look for the best ideas I always look for the best tools to use and um, you know I, I'm not like sponsored by Swift UI I'm not sponsored I, I mean there's no way I can get sponsored by Swift <laughs> UI anyways but uh, you know it's it's just one of the best things I've ever used um, and uh, w- one thing that happened when I was teaching UIKit uh, because I've been teaching UIKit for about five years mm-hmm. is that one, it was very difficult to, to get uh, a lot of people on board, you know, especially in terms of getting storyboard. There's a lot of, of division be- amongst uh, folks who are using uh, iOS to say, OK, should I use uh, storyboard? Should I use everything in code? Should I use uh, um, interface builder? You know, there are so many things. It's very divisive. Um, and then, you know, for me, it was very clear that if I wanted to teach the designers and get them to to use Xcode, that I have to teach them Interface Builder and Storyboard and, you know, and try to connect it to the code. But the problem is not with Interface Builder necessarily. The problem is after, right, mid-road. You know, you have to connect the IB outlets to the code. You know, the the, the editor itself, there's nothing wrong. But at some point, you're going to be like, I want to do more than this, I want to do animations, I want to make it more powerful, I want to have interactions. And if you want to do that, then you have to connect everything in code. And as soon as you do that, then it makes more complicated than either one, you know, either going to code only, or or, sorry, but only which is impossible. And to me, SwiftUI feels like the answer to that problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But a question here from Elliot Fowler, who says, uh, given how much easier animations are to add in SwiftUI compared to UI kit, how do you recommend making sure you don't go overboard with them from a design perspective?
1: I mean, this is certainly a design question. What I would say is just like in design, um, you have to have certain rules. So one of the rules, for example, animation should not be in a way animation should be transitional and animation should be less than let's say one second Uh, most animation you're going to see on ios is less than one second and uh we're talking about the, you know clicking on a button go to to an to another screen or clicking on a card expanding the card all of those things should happen Uh, less than one second and if you're new to animation a lot of people make the mistakes to do a lot of flipping rotation 3d stuff and there's no sort of smooth uh, transition between the states Um, so definitely look into trust transitioning as much as you can take if you're not sure take example from Apple they'd give you the best examples they can that you can possibly get you know if you look at swiping you know when when we got rid of the homes the home button for example we had to use gestures we had to use more animations and transitions and so you know apple probably took many years to came up, to come up with sort of like the swipe from the bottom and the home indicator all of these things have to be really thought through to get the experience that we have on iPhone X, and now you know, fast forward a few years, and you're like, of course, this makes sense now. I don't need the home button anymore, but it was not obvious back day, back uh, back then. So, you know, definitely take example from Apple. They they're a great great leader in design, and uh, they put a great a lot of apps made by their team. They have amazing animations. So if you're not sure in terms of design, in terms of animation, interactions. Just take example from Apple.
0: I absolutely couldn't agree more. I mean, it's so important. Um, Someone asked me a question recently. There's are from one of my pages saying, um, listen, when you have a a navigation view with large titles and you push to a detail view, you should use the inline titles, the small titles, on the secondary view, the detail view and tertiary view, and and so forth. And they're saying, okay, cool, Paul, that's great. Uh, Where did you get that rule from? And I, I was thinking, I remember hearing about it. When was it from? And it ended up being from... Uh, one line in WWDC 2017, iOS 11, when they had those chunky title bars coming in first, they mentioned, we recommend this behavior. But ultimately it came down to my reply, look at settings. Big chunky title, go in one screen, collapses down to an inline title. So if you're not sure, if you don't want to traipse through all WW Dub Dub videos for Apple advice, just run their apps, use their apps and, and see how they behave. Because they're ultimately the, you know, the owners of the platform, they're directing large parts of our UI You can't really go wrong by by making what they do
1: yeah and there's just full of gems in terms of the materials that they put out there um when i learned swift ui and i'm sure it's the same for you we had to look at their example code right like we were looking at their tutorials which is insanely well made um they you know they have their tests at the bottom of the page you open the source files and of course at some point they break because you know SwiftUI was in the beta stage but uh, it, w- w- to me it was the way to learn and also the WWDC videos where they, they show a lot of the new techniques and uh, the tricks that you can use um, but eventually you know everyone just flocked your resources because you have just the best thing to Google for um, but definitely that's how I started.
0: I, I totally cheated Meng, I stayed above DC. <laughs> you know, I was in the hotel above <laughs> it, so I'd literally walk downstairs with my laptop saying, hey folks, this is what I think is right, is that right, and they'd go, oh yeah, that's perfect, and I'd go ahead and publish it, because you, you know what it's like, if you're writing and trying things out, you're thinking, is this the best way of doing it, is there a better way of doing this, being able to ask the Swift UI engineers, is that the best way, and they go, yes, that's fine, rub a stamp, it goes out, so it, was, it was a big cheat, but it, it seemed to work well for me. So one of the things, of course, that SwiftUI does brilliantly is it works on all Apple's platforms across the board from launch. Uh, You know, it's great on iPad, iOS, uh, on tvOS, watchOS, and macOS. But as a designer coming into SwiftUI, what advice do you have for folks to make sure their designs for SwiftUI work great across all the layouts from, you know, little iPhone SE size up to full screen landscape 12.9 inch iPad Pro?
1: So, um, to me, one of the most important things is to first learn the platform. You know, you have to be fully aware of what the expectations are of each platform. Android, they have this thing called elevation for shadows. iOS, they have this thing called the background blur, which is called now a material sheet. Um, And iOS use the full screen mode uh, versus Android. Usually, you know, if you have a card, it's not always full screen. Uh, iOS use much bigger round of corners because of the, you know, the iPhone 10 uh, sort of round the corners. And all of those things need to be taken into consideration when you're designing uh, for, let's say, from the web and you want to adapt it for iOS and for Android, or you're designing for iOS and you want to make sure that your design can translate well to Android and also for the web. Um, it's, it's important... To, to look at these UI patterns, as, as I like to call them, um, to know what is, what, what is it that users expect? you know, and, and then you can sort of transform the design instead of saying, hey, I'm going to use a style that fits all without any change whatsoever. First of all, you have to lose that concept of having a single design that fits all. But you should welcome the idea of changing the design a little bit just enough to make it work across platform it's not we're not talking about 10 step we're talking about three steps roughly but we're not talking about zero step because a lot of people they they want to get lazy and they're like hey you know i just want to have zero step one code that fits all one design that fits all well that's not going to happen because and the same concept is with swift ui right like if you look at the code the same code can work on um, on Apple TV, on, on the Apple Watch, on, on the iPad, but you might have to change a couple of modifiers, a couple of frame uh, values and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you need to adapt a little bit and you need to reduce the steps, but it's not going to be zero. So that's how I would do it. The same for design as well.
0: Certainly, we've all seen those apps that are, uh, running on ipad and they're basically iphone apps and they're running a table in the middle which scrolls up and down and then just white space to the side i mean twitter was there for quite a long time for example and it doesn't feel good because you've got this very expensive you know a thousand dollar device in front of you beautiful glass true tone display promotion refresh rate and yada 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 gorgeous thing and it's occupying this tiny little scrolling space it's not a great use of the device it doesn't feel like you're really enjoying it you might as well just pull out your phone and with 50 Y. Apple made this really, really clear. They're not trying to make a Java like, you know, uh, write once, run anywhere. Uh, they made that really clear, we're not trying to do that. The goal is to learn once and apply anywhere, learn the techniques, learn the modifiers, learn the layouts and the interesting tricks, tips you have, and then you apply that to every platform. And then the third part, which you mentioned, is then tailor your layouts to each thing. This would work better by using the digital crown on watchOS. This needs playpaw support on tvOS, or it's got to handle more things like menu bars for macOS. Tailor them to match the platform to really take advantage of SwiftUI's power for that platform. Absolutely. So compared to UIKit, you know, the older way of building apps for iOS, what would you say there are certain types of designs that SwiftUI make easier to do than UIKit
1: would have done? I think it's easier to do custom designs for sure, just because there's very little cost to changing the layout, to make it to maintain the layout. If you think about UIKit, for example, you have to use constraints and constraints are extremely hard for anyone, not just for designers, but also for developers. And I feel for developers because <laughs> uh, in the design tool now we are using constraints and a lot of designers have trouble with that. Imagine in the design tool, having trouble with constraints, being the person who designed the layout themselves, having trouble with constraints. And as we all know, in UIKit is like 10x that complexity of what you can find in Figma or in Sketch. In Figma, in Sketch, you only have like, oh, you know, you can go from top, from the left, you don't even have specific units uh, for those uh, distances. It's just, hey, you know, I wanna, you know, uh, do a constraint from the top, from the left, and whatever distance that I already have right now, it's just going to stick to it. Um, but in in UIKit, it's like much more complex. You know, you can you can sort of like set constraints between two elements. You can align them with each other. You can set uh, uh, a priority, you know, of constraints. And then you have like um, you know fixing constraints. You have a stacks that comes uh, along with it. So it's, it's very complex, even for a designer. Now, the reason why I feel I say I feel for developers is because developers are not necessarily the one who created the layout. And as someone who didn't create a layout, to have to go into the constraint mode, which is a very mental model, model for a designer, is very difficult, right? Like for me as a designer, I, I created a layout, so I understand everything, every bits and pieces, all the distances, all the paddings. And when I go to uh, storyboard, I understand how to set up this con- the constraints, but having someone else do it for me, I feel for that person, which is why <laughs> I feel like it's very difficult. Now compared to auto layout, well, not auto layout. I mean, Figma's auto layout, which is comparable to stacks in uh, in Swift UI, It's extremely easy for anyone to set up stacks. Okay, it's you, you just select a bunch of elements, put that, them into stacks, set the distances. Everyone can understand that, right? and uh, you know you're not going to have conf- conflicts you're not going to have to maintain it um, as as much and it's it's like swift ui was made to be adaptive from the from the beginning and that i think is a very powerful concept versus a ui kit when it was invented uh, we had uh, you know very few screens at the time and uh, i think it, we it started like even at 1x screen uh, in terms of resolution so the way that you have to set up your mind to think about those layouts is very different from the way that we have to think about layouts nowadays, just because of sheer amount of devices out there.
0: Yeah. We've got a question here from Prathamesh Kawaka who asks, What can designers do to be more accessibility oriented, and make accessibility a core feature of
1: their designs? I think this speaks to both designers and developers. Uh, one thing that I think a lot of designers can use, knowledge, is how dynamic uh, type works and how they can use um, stacks to make it super easy to just set some sort of a bounce for their text. And regardless of the size of the text, it's still going to look great. Hmm. And as we all know, accessibility is super important to Apple, very important to iOS which means that um, you have to understand that your layout has to be transformable. It has to welcome uh, all different sizes of icons, of, uh, you know, of of text especially. And I guess that's also why I believe that Apple brought to us SF Symbols, which is a font icons. And so that we can easily just change the font size based on the accessibility option and it's just gonna increase the, the icons as well. And I think that's just beautiful. So that gives us a glimpse of the future of design. So designers need to, to learn those things for sure.
0: Yeah, certainly, you know, dynamic type support because it is baked in the UI by default. You're gonna opt into it like you did with, you know, UIKit, you'd say, give me this kind of thing. It wasn't the default. It is the default in UI. You gotta, you know, ask for a specific size if you really want to override it, but the default is dynamic type. That should be the absolute bare minimum folk support. I'd like to, I'd like to hope. And yeah, I'm not saying, you know, because you can go into settings and. Accessibility and, and drag the font slider all the way to the right with extra modes and it becomes very, very large. You haven't got necessarily support every possible size. Apple don't do, you know. So their navigation bars don't get bigger and bigger and bigger till they have like one word per line. They max out at a certain size and they they cap it. But then they start introducing other affordances. Like, uh, for example, if you long press on a, a tab bar icon because you want to read what it's saying, you'll get a zoomed up icon taking up the full screen to show you what it is. They don't just make the tab bar icons bigger and bigger and bigger because it would make the design unusable. So, you know, put some thought into it. Designers and developers, dynamic type at the very least, but also, you know, labels and hints and more to really help folks use your UI. And in fact, I've been thinking recently, you know, it'd be a really good uh, job interview question. Like here is an iPhone with voiceover enabled. Just navigate to settings and turn it off. That's it. Really simple because you can tell immediately the folks who've never even bothered trying VoiceOver for their apps. So They can't navigate around the system properly. They don't know how to do it. So they won't respond to you know regular taps. So it's a simple way of filtering out folks who've never even bothered to try the absolute basics of accessible design. Anyway, let's go ahead and park SwiftUI design and talk about obviously where where my heart really lives, which is SwiftUI coding because uh, I, I I write Stack SwiftUI code with terrible design, we'll come back later on perhaps. Let's start with some questions about uh, SwiftUI and coding SwiftUI. When it comes to folks who are just coming to the Swift platform environment for the very first time, whether that's iOS, macOS, whatever it is, uh, and they're thinking, okay, I want to make an iOS app, should I learn UIKit or SwiftUI? It's a very, very common question. So what is your opinion on this, Meng? Should a newcomer to Swift take up UIKit or SwiftUI first?
1: I think that's a great question and i've received this question a lot as well and i, I would say that i'm very biased and you should definitely anticipate the the <laughs> answer for me but uh, definitely swift ui um, and the reason why is because to me one of the key philosophy of learning any platform is how do you get to the maximum results in the least amount of steps possible and swift ui is the answer to that question right like you can essentially just go to content view change a few lines of code and you already have whatever it is that you're building right now and uh, you can use as much a custom layout or something that is uh you know a built-in control such as navigation view and list view and all that stuff um and all of these things such as the button and all of these things so it's very easy to get to the maximum results in the shortest amount of time but um what i see The problem with a lot of tools is that they also follow this philosophy, especially for prototyping tools. The problem with those tools is that the beginning is amazing. It's like the honeymoon period. You know, you're like, oh, my God, this tool is amazing. But then you spend a couple of days on it and then a week. And then you realize that they haven't really thought through the whole journey. Right. They didn't really brought you all of these powerful things you can do. But with SwiftUI, and that's what I love about SwiftUI, or anything by Apple, is that they don't just stop at the beginning of the journey, right? Like, I'm still in love as much in SwiftUI right now as I was when I started, uh, you know, 10 months ago when it was out. So I think that's very important. For any platform to follow that philosophy, it's not just to say, hey, uh, we want to have a really great onboarding experience or a really great landing page showing this tool and what this can do, but also to say, hey, um, do you think that the people using SwiftUI are going to stick to SwiftUI in in 10 months or in, in two years, in five years? and i think the you know if, if you look at what you're doing right now and what i'm doing right now i think you know the answer is pretty clear we still love swift ui we we love exploring more and more of the updates that apple brings to us and um, you know and 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 that's why i would always i think swift ui is the future uh, as soon as ios 13 uh, is going to be out of the way in terms of requirement and uh, we're going to have like you know 90% 95% device support i think you know everyone's going to jump on swift ui and uh, UIKit is still going going to be important and Swift is still going to be important to support whatever SwiftUI cannot do. And I think that's great that SwiftUI can, can sort of like take the Swift code and make it work and use a lot of the stuff that UIKit can do. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there, there's just no, no way I'm going to go back to, to UIKit after this.
0: I, I refer to SwiftUI as the ultimate DC framework multiple times because I think it's really perfect with DubDub because you can get on stage and show a handful of lines of code and it just pow, looks incredible. And of course it's DubDub, so it's very controlled sessions. There's no one there saying, how do I change the table view inset separated sizes, which you can't do in SwiftUI, you know, or where are the text views, or where are the collection views, or where are the you know, alerts with input text fields and so forth. It's great for doing these 40-minute wow sessions. When you live with it for a while, like you said, you've got to realize, actually, there are some drawbacks here, things I can't do in SwiftUI ui currently. But of course, you could make a table from scratch if you wanted to, but you, you want to use the real list if you, if you could. But you can't change some things about it, and that can be frustrating, and that's where the uh, emergency backdoor to kit would be really, really helpful. Sadly, there isn't one, you can't like say okay list this, this bit you can't do let me just dig into the table view behind you that isn't possible so you have to have you know push to a new screen which is UIKit, and then modify that in you like then go back to swift ui for the things that you can't do very easily that's a little bit frustrating for that i think
1: yeah absolutely i'm not saying swift ui does everything um but what, one thing that it does great at is that it it allows you to create these custom layouts which is something that i've been focusing on to me you know, creating a navigation view and stuff like that is is, is easy, but also it's not necessarily what I like to focus on for designers who wish to up their game in terms of UI. Because at the end of the day, um, we when when it comes to launching your app, people will always look for something that they're really passionate about uh, in terms of what you're trying to create, in terms of animations, in terms of like interactions, in terms of concept, in terms of uh, you know new thinking. If you're always 100% always on the stuff that are built in and that looks just like another app or another Android app or another web app. Then people are gonna sort of intrinsically uh, ignore some of the things that they're excited about. And I I think at least at least my philosophy is that I should always be able to excite people when I create something. You know, if I cannot create if I cannot excite people when I create something then there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the tool or there's something wrong with the environment at which uh, it, it, it inspires me to do that. And so, you know, I, I think um, you're right. It does not do everything, just like any tool. UIKit does not do all of the things that SwiftUI can do. And SwiftUI cannot do all the things that UIKit can do. And that's, I think, is by design. Uh, some of the things we will miss. Um, I don't know if Collection View. Uh, will make sense in the future. Uh, Maybe they're going to reinvent a collection view in in a better way. Uh, But what I can say is that right now, there's a way to do it. It's more complex than the collection view, but you can still do it. Uh, But most importantly, you can do very, very custom layouts. And if you look at the course that I I put out there or the the tweets that people put out there about SwiftUI, including your apps, um, you can see just a range of uis that you can see uh, that, that you can find and create uh, using swift ui and i think that's really exciting awesome
0: we have a question here from iken mo who asks uh, what are the biggest shortcomings of swift ui currently in your opinion
1: yeah uh, as i just mentioned you know like collection view right um, a lot of the things that you could do well to be honest i'm not the right person to ask this question because I I don't have the same amount of experience with with UI than you, for example. But definitely the the first thing that comes to mind is the collection view. Um, What else? You know, the storyboard, obviously. Uh, The fact that you can sort of like create, um, you know, visually change everything kind of like in a design tool. In SwiftUI, you have to do it in code, which is fine. Because at the end of the day, um what I noticed when I started with Swift UI is that you know in the preview you can sort of drag and drop stuff you can sort of um you know insert something and then drag it to, to to the preview I think that's nice it's great for beginners but at the end of the day I'm I'm like well eventually I don't even use it anymore because the coding part is so good so that's kind of how I feel about uh, storyboard as well like at the beginning it's great um, it's great for creating quick layouts and eventually you just end up, you know, having so much trouble or at least you feel like there's a way to do it better or faster that uh, you feel like maybe I should just do everything in code. And I think SwiftUI is kind of that uh, that answer.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so- We've talked already about how Swift works with React. You mentioned Flutter briefly as well, because th- that sort of, uh, it's like a triad almost, folks coming to the platform and thinking, well, do I choose React? Do I choose SwiftUI? Do I choose Flutter? How do those things really compare in in your eyes and which would you
1: recommend the most? So Flutter is an interesting case. A lot of people are very, very excited about Flutter right now. And I can see two scenarios. And of course, this is just my opinion. Uh, One thing is that people are tired of React Native at the moment because of the shortcomings of React Native. As someone who has taught two courses about React Native, I can say that um, it does a lot of basic things well, just like the web. I, I love the web. Don't get me wrong. But when I code, when I design on the web, I definitely don't feel the same freedom As I have for SwiftUI or for, you know, a UI kit, uh, in terms of animations, in terms of like all the things that you can do, all the technologies you can do. It's great for sort of like a visual website, right? Like, you know, you go here, you scroll down, you click here, that's it. But when it comes to the phone, right, you have access to the camera, to the, you know, location, to, uh to, to all of these things, the sound, all of these things are very standard that and, and not just that, but also the animation on the web, try to create a website that transition from every screen to another. You, you're not going to see like 99 percent of websites are not going to do that because it's too complex to do it. But on on uh, on SwiftUI or UIKit, you're gonna see a lot of that. There's a navigation view which do- does that by default, anyways. But in SwiftUI, you can create these uh, animation states, and you can put views on top of another view using a Z stack. You can hide them. You can use a condition. It's amazingly easy. So my thinking is that I think React Native is kind of like saying, "Hey, we can make cross-platform apps, but we're gonna use the limitations of the web." Or at least we're gonna we're not gonna be able to do as much as you can at least layout wise. I'm not saying you cannot do all of you know access to the camera and all of the technologies, but there's definitely it feels like there's a middle a middleman or um, you know a middle person that's trying to say to translate everything that you do in React Native to make it work natively. Um, and I, and and the thing is, it's also made by uh, by Facebook, which means that. It might not have the same access as if it was made by Google or Android or Apple, um, and uh, and Flutter was made by Google, so that I think that's interesting. Uh, it feels more native in terms of the way you develop apps, and uh, you know there's a lot. There are far more resources. So w- one thing as as a React developer um, is that React is amazing, but at the same time we all know that React relies on so many third-party libraries, right? There are so many things you have to download that you have to depend on in order to create something meaningful, and React Native is not very different from that. So, and, and by the way, I'm not saying this to shit on React Native, right? Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm just saying this to be to have a a, a fair opinion as much as I can to to, to speak on the strength of each. Um, I can say its constraints in UIKit sucks, right? Uh, <laughs> so, but Flutter, if you look at it. They have so many components readily available for you. They, they have created animate their own animation library. You don't have to download a lot of third-party stuff, and uh, I, and I think that's why people are so excited about Flutter. But as someone who has kind of like looked into Flutter a little bit, I can say that uh, Flutter um, is is um is a notch less simple uh, than SwiftUI. And again, this is based on my limited limited experience. But I encourage everyone to try both. Right, try Flutter and look at the code. All I can say is that from a designer perspective, I look at this Flutter code and I look at the Swift UI code, I feel like the Swift UI code is way more readable, easier to approach. Um, there's a lot of weird things that I, I try to wrap my mind around like scaffold and they have so many th- components uh, on top of each component. It's kind of like it, when I read Flutter code, especially the, the template that they give, it's kind of like me going to the app delegate uh, in Swift UI first and try to read that before getting the content view. And, uh, I guess that's kind of my feelings right now. And I'm not saying it's not going to change, but this is, uh, how I feel right now.
0: I think it's really important that we have these options out there. Just like, you know, if you want to write a macOS app, you can choose AppKit, which is awesome. You can choose Catalyst, which is very, very good. And Swift SwiftUI too, which is up and coming. You know, you can choose which one makes the best choice for you, the best option for you. And of course, you could choose um, Electron if you don't mind burning through some RAM. But having React Native, having Flutter, having um, now SwiftUI, I hope we can get ideas from them. More ideas, obviously, we've got stacks already from React, but look at these things and steal ideas. You know, that's what great artists do. We steal ideas. And they, they, they all have their own pros and cons. React Native, I, you know, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. Yes, it does native rendering, but it doesn't necessarily mean native controls. You know, they'll do their own drawing of certain things because they can, you know, it's custom buttons or custom navigation or whatever you want to. So it can be cross-platform as opposed to the native built-in iOS tools. And, of course, Flutter, as you said, is, is made by Google. So lots of folks uh, are out there uh, are thinking, well, I've seen killedbygoogle.com. Um, I don't fancy backing that horse, quite frankly, because we've seen too many times in the past where big things have gone, you know, wow, from Google, and they've been brilliant, and then they've disappeared in a year, 18 months, two years. That team has moved on to other things. The novelty's is worn off The money wasn't there. Whatever it is changed, the use case changed, and Google got bored of it and killed it. And... If you are a small company you can pivot around freely and change your mind as much as you want to, fine. But some of us support apps for years and years and years. We want code that works reliably for a very, very long time that we can rely on. And that investment in our learning lasts a long time as well. We can say, yeah, learn this thing. That will last me a long time. I don't get that feeling from Flutter, at least not at this
1: time. Um, I, I might have a different opinion. And I, I guess... I have a a unique perspective in the sense that we get a lot of feedback from different platforms, right? Like, I know a lot of folks out there are focused on one platform, so for me, I do get a lot of feedback. I teach all different courses, all different platforms, all different design tools. I don't have a preference on one. I just look for the best ideas. I don't think Flutter is going to go away. Um, Looking at the excitement, looking at what people are creating with Flutter looking at the amount of updates that Google puts out there for Flutter, it feels like one that is ready to stay. That being said, um, I've always been a huge fan of Apple. And I'm extremely biased, but at the same time, I'm okay with that, right? I just love to be able to buy a freaking, you know, uh, AirPods, spending 200 bucks on this and say, I don't need to think twice about it. I'm happy with this decision and i being completely blown away after purchasing it. And I'm so used to this idea that Apple is going to blow me away at some point. And uh, that level of trust that I have on Apple is not something that I can compare to any other company. And so when, when I say, okay, well, SwiftUI is awesome, I also, in the back of my mind, I know that Apple is going to keep doing awesome stuff with it. And they have proven that um, with uh, all the technologies that they have put out there, all of their products. Mm-hmm. And so if I if I was to put money on the table, I would definitely put SwiftUI. But again, I'm biased. Um, but that's not to say that Flutter is not a strong contender. I'm really, really happy that people are kind of trying to go more towards the, the native route, even though we... I don't know what you know the difference between native and, and, and non-native anymore just because there's a lot of like little uh, gotchas um, you know when it comes to React Native for example but it's definitely not in the in the days of Cordova and all of those platforms um, you know the the sort of like web-based uh, platforms really? at least we got that out of the way <laughs> but React Native is kind of like the second step and now Flutter is like the third step. But UI Kit and Swift UI have always been the ultimate uh, tools for me. Awesome. So you and I have both been
0: noodling around with SwiftUI since day one, right? We downloaded the Xcode beta for 11 back in June the third or so last year, whenever it was. Started throwing code, it started trying things out, started to experiment. But been, been, been the last 11 months now, because we're three weeks short of dub next now. 11 months working with SwiftUI. What would you say to someone who's just starting out? Like, what would your top three pieces of advice be? If you went you go back in a time machine 11 months ago, I said to you, who's just starting out with UI. what would your top three biggest pieces of advice be for someone
1: who's just learning Swift UI today? Well, that's a big one. Um, first of all, don't overthink it. A lot of people, they, they're like kind of shopping for the best platform right now. They're like, oh my God, should I use Flutter? Should I use React Native? Should I use like, don't overthink it. Have fun. You know, like if you have fun, you're going to get it. You know, you launch your first app first. You know, don't think about launching f- 10 apps across 10 platforms. Launch the app that you're in love with because you're in love with it. People are going to be in love with it as well. Mm. Right. I think that's kind of like the principle that I go by. Have fun with learning. Um, you know, maybe you're not going to have fun with SwiftUI. I know that's totally fine. But please try it. And uh, that's my word and that's Paul's word as well. Like I can vouch for Swift UI if you believe it. Great. But at the end of the day, have fun with it. And thirdly is don't, uh, you know, don't skip design. I think design is such an important part of development, not just for designers, but also for developers, right? Like if you if you look at all the successful apps, Um, You know, even the Mac apps, you know, we all love Mac apps, right? Even though it's not an ecosystem that is healthy right now, we all love Mac apps. You know, I use a lot of Mac apps, I can vouch for them. Um, But you can see that they're very well designed and they have matured so much over the past decades. Um, If you look at any Mac app that you're using right now, if you look at the design, it's good. And for some reason, and and oftentimes they're made by a single developer. So what I can say is that do not skip design. Design is very important. Uh, design is not just about the visuals. It's also about the UX. It's also about your approach to code. How to make your code more beautiful. How to make your your, your code more exciting. Um, and uh, you know, and and obviously don't skip code because we all we we all know that. <laughs> Code is uh, at the back of every single app out there. So, you know, design plus code, right? There
0: we go. I got the first one, Um, have fun. I definitely agree with that because you want, honestly, just just to try it out, folks, because it's it's one of the very few platforms where you can experience uh, just joy noodling around trying things out experimenting and seeing what happens get really really fast feedback and make gorgeous things that was the first one have fun the third one was of course um don't forget about design um get beautiful code love beautiful code beautiful code is so important wouldn't necessarily say exciting code i don't want exciting code i want beautiful code but i don't want to be excited by the code around me i I want to think you know that's a bit too clever it's probably a a bad thing did i miss number two what was number two have fun um don't, don't overthink don't overthink okay there we go have fun. Yes, okay. So, I think have fun and uh, focus on design too. So, those three things, folks, uh, to help you get upside with Swift UI as fast as you can and just get in there and try it out because it is there, built into Xcode, works on all Apple's platforms with varying degrees of quality. Give it a try, see what you can make, and see where it takes you. Now, one of the things we're finding as we was writing more Swift UI code, more Swift UI code, building up bigger and bigger apps is we have this, it's, it's no longer massive view controllers, MVC, it's just massive views and with these huge views. And obviously, we don't want that because it makes it very hard to maintain code. You want code that is beautiful, as you say, but also maintainable and scalable and reusable and flexible and lots of other ibbles. Uh, but what advice do you give to folks to help them split up their large UI views into smaller, easier to understand, more reusable views?
1: Well, perhaps I'm not the best person to answer this question, but I'm, I'm going to try to answer from a designer perspective who codes. Um, First of all, in the design tool, more and more designers are using components, are using design systems. So the way that I look at it is to borrow the same strategy to sort of like make sure that every single piece of code is reusable and is three steps customizable. Again, from that principle of, of the number three. Uh, which is something that I've learned a lot from Steve Jobs back, uh, you know, in, in terms of like the way he thinks. You know, the, the three steps is um, to make sure that you're not necessarily making like a component that has that you know can can transform itself to be an app or can transform itself into ten times ten types of buttons. But if a, if a single button can transform into two types of button or three types of button, that's amazing. And I think that's kind of like the kind of uh, you don't want to have like maybe 20 props. uh, When I say props, it's variables. Um, You might you might want to have three or five or something like that. Like keep it short, um, make it reusable, connect it to the design system, and try to be uh, consistent between the design and uh, the code in SwiftUI. So, for example, uh, in a lot of the naming conventions that I try to do in my team, um, because a lot of uh, our developers are not native English speakers, so they, they have trouble with naming their component. They have trouble naming their views, um, and uh, they make type they, they make typos. And so, what I try to do in the design is to sort of say, okay, this is this is a list view or this is a row. So I put that in the design tool when I name the layers. And then when I ship it to uh, developers, they look at it and they're like, okay, I'm going to use exactly this name. So we try to be consistent and during meetings and when we talk to each other, we can say, okay, you know, remember the row view, then it's consistent across the two and it helps with communication as well. So that's kind of how how I look at it.
0: Yeah, consistency is key in, in so many things in our job. We've got a question here from Prathamesh Kawaka. It's a, a trickier one, I think, but I'll see what you think about this. Um he's asking, what are your thoughts on unit testing? Because ultimately we want to make sure we have high quality tested software. You know, you see software with no tests, you're like, oh goodness, will this will this work properly? You're actually shipping this thing. Um so what approach do you take when teaching folks to build apps with Swift UI to help them test code with unit testing and similar?
1: Uh, I have to be very honest with you. I haven't done a lot of unit testing at all. Like I'm, um, you know, I I live on the edge to be honest and I'm not a a fine example of someone who does (laughs) testing for everything. And I also like to work a lot by myself or with a very small team, which means that you know, I also don't work on big, big projects. I I know the value of unit testing. Uh, we we tried to do that at some point when I was working with uh, senior iOS developers, and we just couldn't get it to to be deep enough to me to for me to say, well, this is really crucial. But uh, I understand the importance of it. Um um, I, I cannot offer like a a good opinion. Uh, that would help anyone. Obviously, your code is perfect, right? It doesn't crash. So <laughs> tests are required. <laughs> no, it's just that to me, regardless if, you, if you're if you using unit testing or not, your QA should be here. In, in the team, we always speak about QA, everything you do. And it's one of the most difficult things to do, regardless if you're a developer or a, a designer. You do not, you, you always tend to think, okay, my work is done here you're always like hey let, let's move to the next project or let's move to the next thing and a lot of people especially especially the juniors they they um they they finish their work too quick they don't really look after they don't look they don't test 10 ways you know for me i'm i'm paranoid when i have to launch something i'm so paranoid uh you know i would refresh it 10 times I would, uh, you know, go back into the design to make sure everything looks great. Um, The design system, uh, you know, the presentation, but especially testing. I have to look into my device. I have to spend like so many times like clicking everything, making sure that everything works. So for me, because I have been doing this for more than 20 years, it feels like I test everything. And I, I've never found the, the the huge need, at least for the size of my apps, to really get into the automation and the unit testing and all that stuff. Um, again, I cannot offer like a, a better opinion more than that uh, in terms of unit testing, but in terms of UA, QA, I can definitely say that. It's so, so important. And please test your design, test your app, make sure, make sure that everything's gonna work well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. We already talked about some of the things that we think SwiftUI is missing. You've mentioned, uh, collection views, but they're also, you know, text views are a real, uh, sore thumb right now. So I'm looking forward to seeing those come in, 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 three weeks or so when, and WW20 hits. But right now we can at least backfill SwiftUI with UI kit components with app kit components with anything else you need from the platform you're working for and, and designing for so how do you handle that how do you approach integrating key things from UI kit with swift ui
1: um again very limited experience here uh, what i can say is that during the course one one thing i wanted to do was the background blur and i know it's not it's not feasible in swift ui so we had to sort of like use the UI view representable um, and we we managed to make it work at uh, that. That was kind of the only thing that I really need to UI kit for the course that I created. Um, yeah. You know, like, uh, I, I know also the pagination thing. Uh, a lot of people were, were asking about it. So you can you have to, you would have to use UI kit for that. But hopefully, yeah, at WWDC, they're going to bring uh, some of those things, uh, the collection view and the background blur the material sheets uh yeah that's uh on top of my mind right now
0: i'm hoping for many if not all of those things i mean fine there are some slightly ones that i i worry less about like you know progress views or whatever but you know i want to see collection views uh, desperately but also i want to see things from other teams as well cuz it's the first time everyone inside apple has had the chance to see swift ui if you imagine, you know, 14, 15 months ago when it was still top secret, uh, apart from STS, of course, knew about it, but no one else did. Um, we know folks at Apple who are working on MapKit or Safari Services or, I don't know, UI Image Picker Controller, all the other parts of the system that we want to integrate regularly. Having Maps is great. Having Safari Embedded is great. Having Image Picker is great. All those teams have now had a full year to work with SwiftUI and hopefully, hopefully think, how does my framework fit into the SwiftUI world? What a great map view looked like in a SwiftUI world. I'm hoping to see, yes, of course, stacks of UI kit controls coming on board, like UI page control, which you mentioned, but also stacks of controls from other teams as well, sort of seeing it for the very first time. So let's park SwiftUI coding and move on to our final topic, which is uh, design for developers because it's almost like a, a stereotype that some geeks just feel proud of oh, I I just don't do design I, I don't get design I, I can't even spell photoshop whatever we, you know it's all like a badge of honor that we don't use and understand design and clearly that isn't great because we have to work alongside designers and having the very least a shared glossary of terms to work with would be very very helpful but it's certainly clear that you see a lot of developer artwork, folks who've had to build the app and do their own artwork. So let's talk about this kind of area of of design for developers. And I want to start with a simple question for you here. What would you say are the most common design mistakes made by developers? In in a nice way, they're not actively trying to screw things up, but it's just common errors they make.
1: Sure. Um, Proportions. You know, like font sizes, you know, I've seen a lot of apps by developers where the font size is like this much. And when I look at that, I'm like, OK, this pro- probably this person probably come, came from the Web or something because, you know, on the Web, as you know, the font size are just much bigger. Um, colors, you know, they don't know how to use colors. Uh, they see a designer using colors and they're like, OK, may- maybe I can use colors everywhere now. And they're like putting this purple background and then purple text on top of a purple background and it's not even readable. So accessibility, a third thing, very, very hard to to master, um, but should be uh, done, especially nowadays. Uh, the focus that Apple has on accessibility, so contrast ratio. If you're a developer, I wouldn't use anything else than a white background, to be honest, um, because white background is the ultimate color uh, for any app and it's very consistent it's very easy to use um, and then it can translate to dark mode very easily Um, if you're a designer you have a lot more comfort with colors you can definitely end up using off-white you can use end up using uh, dark blue for dark mode but if you're a developer and you're not comfortable with colors go with the more safe route and it's when I say save I don't necessarily mean you are not putting your skin uh, in the game and you're not doing anything exciting. You can bring excitement in other things such as animation, such as um, you know the way that you can interact with the app, the new gestures that you can use. You know, if you look at some of the the, the stuff that we're really used to now in terms of like the pull to refresh, those are things that were invented by developers at the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that I, I believe developers really excel at if they knew the power that they hold over design. They, the problem that I see with a lot of developers is that they don't believe that they have any power in design. But that's absolutely the opposite, in my opinion. Because if you, look, if you, you work with any teams and if you understand just enough Design to be dangerous, um, such as some of the um, rules for typography, the colors that is already in the Apple uh, iOS guidelines, the adaptivity of the layout, uh, the legibility of the, the text, dynamic types, accessibility, um, all of these things. If they knew just like 60% of it, they can be extremely dangerous. And come the time that they have a meeting with designers, they, they can have a very strong opinion on how the app design should be moving forward. And not only will, will they improve the user experience, they improve the deadline in terms of how long it's going to take to, to make the app. They can collaborate better with designers, but also they, um, they can really shift the, the, the vision of the company. Uh, in, in big ways instead of saying hey I want to make this this card to be this way that the designer wanted you can say what if we do it this way and what what if we use another technique giving even more flexibility to the design to the, the animation but only know you know as developer because the designer doesn't know the designer doesn't even know about dynamic type you know and so what if you knew, what if you have this knowledge and you can pass it to the designer and convince them to use this technique and it's going to save the uh, the deadline by two weeks, right? So that's the kind of power that developers hold. Well, the very first thing you mentioned there was proportion, you
0: know, if you see very large font sizes and similar. You also mentioned, you know, the rules of typography. Would you say that a developer could almost play it safe by sticking with the built-in dynamic type font styles, you know, title, large title, headline, caption, just with those? Or should they try to experiment?
1: I think, you know, the same way I look at this first time that someone would draw um, on pen and paper, they they learn how to draw, they would, uh, you know, look at a drawing, and they would put it on top of another paper and they would draw on top of it. So at the very beginning, it's inevitable to mimic and and to go with a safe route first. Mm. As, as long as you are satisfied, and I think that's the key word, to be satisfied with your design. And it does not have to be exactly um, like what Apple has, but definitely if you're using the same techniques, such as what you're saying in terms of using large title, body text, uh, caption text, and all of those things start with that. Once you get comfortable, then you can upgrade your skills, but always, always be satisfied with your design. You should never say, Hey, I tried a 50 font size. I hate my design. Well, maybe you should just use a large title, right? And, mix that with uh, another one that goes well with a large title, and a good amount of spacing between the two, a good amount of uh, characters per line, a good amount of line height. All of those all those three things, by the way, can make your design 100% better. Just by setting the right uh, line height, setting uh, the right combination of title versus text, setting the, the right spacing between the title and the text, and as we all know, like most apps are comprised of like 80% text. So if you master text, then you already like uh, creating, you can e- easily create a beautiful apps um, already. You know, if you look at the stocks app, for example, um, mostly text and then charts. So are you able to draw a chart? I'm sure you can. And you just like, then you have your app. Uh, you use navigation view, tab bar, and that's it. It's, it's not very complex. Um, at the end of the day, You don't need to have everything custom-made, you don't need to have everything super exciting and crazy, you just need one or two or three things and that really blows people away. Maybe the way you animate the charts, maybe it's the way that you do the loading screen, maybe it's the way that you do the transition between one card to to the full-screen mode, whatever it is, it's usually just one thing. If you look at, let's say, the App Store app, most of the design is just basic design, right? Like It's not crazy stuff. But there's one stuff that excites people, and this, that's the to do, Today tab. And people always refer to that design all the time because they're so excited by it. It's, it just sets the tone of why one thing can make such a huge difference in the way per, people perceive uh, a, a design of something. And the rest can just be very normal, you know? And that's, that's the beauty of it. You can sort of, like, contrast the two. It doesn't have to be like 100% original. It can be maybe 5% original and 95% pretty normal, but still good, right?
0: Certainly, um, you know, 14, 13 months ago, um, most developers, I would think of would actually point to the apps tab or the games tab and say, how the heck do they make that collection view? because they have this amazing collection view with multiple different types of layouts and this gorgeous, you know, big pictures scrolling, little tables of stuff scrolling. And now, of course, we have compositional layouts ourselves. We're like, aha, that's how they made the collection view. I, I'm really glad I have that to myself. Uh, so yes, it certainly is interesting seeing how folks see the app store differently. With fonts particularly, I think it's worth remembering that the dynamic type sizes like title and large title, it's not just the size of font and a weight of font. That includes kerning and tracking and leading and it's all carefully custom designed to fit with those fonts. Apple spends an enormous amount of time making those work well together. And particularly with SwiftUI, when you think about you know, spacer or the default behavior of, of, of stacks where they have adaptive spacing by default, you don't say padding by default, you just say padding Whatever, you don't say Padding 5, you just say Padding, and it applies it to the right amount. And that's important because of these font sizes that are perfectly constructed. You know, you can add adaptive spacing around them as needed to give a bit more white space, a bit of negative space around them. So it just has a bit more breathing room on the screen, as opposed to sort of squeezing things aggressively together, which you might do if you made your own custom font layouts and similar. Now, one of the things you've touched on briefly in terms of uh, of app design is that you think it's important to have something that, may, that brings delight to your users, to make them really enjoy the app and, and love the app. Uh, but what do you think in terms of uh, custom stock design? What what developers, what can they do to help the app stand out above just stock UI kit slash Swift UI controls?
1: Um. Yeah, you know, just like want to have one or two things that really stand out in terms of the interaction. I think at the end of the day, um, if you are excited about your UI, people will get excited about your UI. And, you know, we can speak about backend, but at the end of the day, um, as much as backend is really important, a lot of people are not going to see the backend part. But the UI part, they will definitely see. And you need to be able to express that to your users in a way that really get them excited um, and it, sometimes it doesn't even need to be the normal users it can, it can be the power users so for example you can say okay maybe it's just use it yourself first so that's the first rule if you enjoy your own app most likely people are going to enjoy your app as well so if you think your design sucks most people are going to think that your design sucks so the key part is to enjoy your design, to to enjoy your app, test it multiple times. And speaking about power users, you know, there, these are the one things that I learned as a creator for from for uh, about two decades is that the the power users are incredibly incredibly important. They are the ones that set the tone for the needs for your app, and especially moving forward after after launch. Um, they will be the one that come back to you and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if I can double tap on this picture and, and like it? Right? It's not it's not hard to do, but it's definitely one thing that can make your app stand out based on the feedback of your users. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And then you do something interesting, something exciting, and then suddenly it becomes standard everywhere. The same for the pool to refresh, right? Like It's not something in your face necessarily, but as soon as people start using it and they're like, wouldn't it be great if instead of scrolling up and bouncing for no reason, I can actually refresh the app? Yeah, that's great. Sure, let's do it. And then you think about something, and then you think about uh, the interaction necessary for that. As long as you see a problem or a waste of space or a waste of um, interaction, such as the scrolling, um, you know, like wouldn't it be great if you scroll at the bottom and suddenly it, ref- it you know it adds more items? You know, as we call it now, lazy loading. Right, it's all part of a problem, and it's all part of a solution based on that problem. So that's I, I would love to see developers do that more and and say like, hey, um, you know, let's let's really get people excited about the interactions, and uh, let's listen to feedback. Let's let's also really enjoy our own app, and really be satisfied with our own design.
0: So I guess there, there's a trade-off somewhere between satisfying those power users, but also taking care of of really good accessibility, really good discoverability. I mean, if I was thinking about, you know, double tap to like a picture, um, I can see why that might be a shortcut for some folks, but then is that possible to use if you can't double tap very easily? Or, you know, would you hit it by accident? Like you're you're looking through pictures of you at school, like that girl you liked uh, from 20, 30 years ago and you double-tap to zoom in the picture and it likes it. You're like, no, she'll see the alert say he liked my picture. And it's the wall of shame, you know. There's a trade-off that somewhere isn't between power users and also being accessible to people and also being discoverable to people.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, there's no perfect solution. Even the the swipe from the bottom uh, of the home indicator to go to the, the home screen can be done accidentally a lot. I don't know if you watch your kids using an iPad or an iPhone, they will most likely do that all the time and it's so frustrating. But at the end of the day, you know what I mean, like there's no design that is perfect um, and uh, as long as you kind of follow the 80% rule, as long as 80% of people use your feature or use your design in such a way, then, um, then it's worth having it uh, front and center. If it's not, then you can put it more in a hidden. So we're talking about visual hierarchy, all of those things, definitely I'm going to teach that in my course uh, about uh, UI design for developers.
0: So in terms of what UI kit and iOS offers us as developers, what kind of tools do we get in
1: order to make great designs? Uh, what kind of tools like design tools or well, development tools?
0: In terms of like, if I was to sit down to code as a, as a developer, I want to write some software, What Systems, what APIs, what frameworks, what uh, design tools, UI tools are actually out there in iOS to help us make great designs in our apps. Not just text and navigation and lists, but going beyond that, what kind of more interesting tools are out there for us?
1: Um, well, that's, I'm not sure if, I, I don't really want to repeat myself here, but definitely like, uh, you know, all the techniques involved with um, gestures. And, uh, you know, definitely explore all of the gestures that are available to us in SwiftUI. Um, They're incredibly, really, really good. I was able, I don't know if you watch watched some of the videos that I made about the course, but I was able to do like a tap progress. There's so many interesting uh, interactions that is on iOS 13, especially (laughs) like, for example, on the lock screen, you can tap on the button and it it does this little uh, morphing thing. And... um, If you tap long enough, then you have a long press gesture. Then you also have a progress uh, based on how long you tap it. So the longer you tap, then the more the button expands. Mm. So developers need to explore more what they can do with animation and gestures. Um, Because this is so incredibly important nowadays um, because of the, the removal of the home button where now have like a single screen that directs all of our interactions of our apps. So gestures are going to come into play increasingly in the future because of the learning curve. It took a decade to get here, if you think about it. Gestures wouldn't have made sense 10 years ago Mm. because people were still learning how to use buttons. They was still learning how to use keyboards um, a little bit more than a decade ago. But um, nowadays, you know, there's a learning curve and people have learned it. People are, are born into technology. Uh, the kids, they know how to use technology better than us. And they know how to use gestures. And so uh, gestures are becoming more and more important. Um, what five years ago, people didn't care about gestures. Now they have to care about it. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, Pinch. Uh, swipe from the bottom, uh, double tap, and uh, you know swipe down. It's a very common gesture to close a a screen, and it's even it's so common nowadays that I'm when I open a new screen, I anticipate to be able to swipe down to close it, or type tap outside on the web. This is a very common gesture. You tap outside of the modal to get out of the modal, and so developers need to learn those interactions. If you can learn them, you can make make them better. You can design better, and you can improve the uh, the, the user experience as a general, uh, as a whole, for power users and new user users alike.
0: Certainly, the, it's important to remember that your UI principles do evolve over time. You know, I, I was in the crowd at WWDC when Apple announced iOS 7, and it was you know bang, what the heck happened? Where did my fuzzy felt and wood game center just go? And they made a really important point, you know, they're thinking, why have we spent such a long time building this very real world skeuomorphic design ethos and everywhere in our apps and now to throw it all away and focus on just pure text and flat colors and similar. And it's simply that, you know, back then when folks were getting started, we had to give these visual affordances to tell folks, yeah, this is pressable this is interactable this is real tap this thing because they weren't used to it on these you know highly interactive swipeable pinch zoom whatever it is touchscreens whereas now on ios 7 which was obviously quite a few years ago now everyone was used to it they had six years of ios by that point everyone's used to the idea of sliders you can grab and buttons you can press and so forth so we can start to remove some things remove some of that visual clutter and simplify it and that's just going to continue as you said, we you know we're always moving forward, and always, and you know, so soon iOS thirteen will be considered very, very old. And of course, these will always work that way. And we can stop relying on the old affordances and and, and bring in new ideas and, and new principles. We've got a question here. Absolutely from, uh, it's just with my screen actually, it's very annoying. Uh Here we go, from uh, Christian who says, when does it make sense to introduce a new type of gesture in your app? Because of course in SwiftUI you can do taps and double taps and swipes and so forth. You can do simultaneous gestures, you can do sequence gestures, you can do high priority gestures. There's all sorts of gesture control. But when do you want to introduce a new gesture rather than relying on one of the built-in system gesture types?
1: Um, I think it makes sense based on feedback. If, if um, you can make it save time for people, it makes sense to use a gesture. So for example, if you think about swapping down to close, well, it saves you time from using, let's say, a one-handed gesture. So I mean, one-handed uh, usage of the phone to be able to, to not have to go with the second hand to go to the top right corner of the, of the screen to close that button. And that's when it makes sense to use gesture. So I would definitely go with the feedback. I would definitely go with the saving time uh, paradigm. So, you know, if you think about, let's say, okay, maybe you have some hidden feature that is not easily accessible. It might not be important for all users, but it might be important for power users. And you're like, well, how can I make the like button easier to use in one-handed usage? Maybe double tap maybe swipe to the right, like Tinder, or swipe to the left, you know what I mean? Like, those are when gestures make sense.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a point here from Prathamesh Kawaka saying, uh, thanks Christian Selig who makes um, Apollo for that gesture in Apollo's photo viewer. And actually I've, I've thought, you know, I should really do one of these uh, episodes with Christian because Apollo has some really nice UI touches that I wish A, were in uh, UI Kit slash SwiftUI and B, I, I wish I you how he made them. Because I want, to, or again, I want like, give, give me the code for your stuff. Like he has this thing where you can you can swipe back, you know, in the navigation, of course you can swipe back to the previous screen. But then if you change your mind, you can swipe the other way and get the screen back again. It's like when you send an email and you just want to just check what you wrote after you've sent it, you know? It's that same sort of thing. You can swipe forward or he has this thing where it's like dark mode, but reduce smear and it really works. And I want to know how it works. And gestures are great at that. You know, that kind of swipe forward gesture to go back to where you were, I think that is intuitive. Uh, you want to get back to where you were. And as long as it doesn't collide with, you know, table view, cell, um, slide actions, swipe actions, then I think that should be a standard UI kit thing. So I'm holding out hope, perhaps, to see that in UI kit in the future. Mm-hmm. But custom gestures really can bring apps to life, I think. So yeah, a question here about um, how we can create apps that are Accessible to everyone. I've talked about accessibility a little bit already, but I want to really focus on it here because, you know, as as coders, if we're just doing terrible design, you know, just raw, simple, flat design, we can make that accessible very easily because it's just text button, text button, whatever, nothing fancy to it. But when it comes to more advanced layouts where there's animations or there's gestures, but also when I take into account things like um, reduce motion or you know, avoid um, using color for differentiation, for so forth. These are built-in, accessible features inside iOS. How can designers or developers who want to be more designery build good designs while also really keeping at their core to be truly accessible to everyone regardless of their, their access needs?
1: Sure, um, so we've discussed about dynamic type. I think that's extremely important. We discuss about the color contrast. Uh, so to be to make sure that, let's say, you have a white background w- with a black text on top of it, uh, use that all the time. If you're not sure about what colors to use, just use black and white. That's it. Uh, for the bun, just use blue. If you're not sure what what to use, just use blue. Apple has a very specific uh, way that they're using colors to make the buns. So the bun color is actually a branding of the app. So if you look at the news app, it's like kind of red. If you look at uh, most apps, is like blue and the, the each color. app have their own color. Right. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, at the end of the day, design is a lot about real life. And especially when it comes to animation, what we cannot rely on the old paradigms of the web. When you visit a website, you go to another page, takes two seconds to refresh and you're completely out of context from before if you look at the reality in which we are you know speaking about shadows lighting um, a, a priority in terms of visual visualization when you move from one room to another there's a transition going on as you walk to always bring the context and as Deodor Ram says, um, one of the, the cardinal sin of, of design is to not care about the context. So it's very, very important that you make your design contextual, adapted to whatever needs uh, of your users. And when it comes to animation, to use that transition to have a context from one screen to another, which is why I love you know, all of these interactions that you find on iOS, it, it feels like they have embedded this principle very deeply. And, uh, you know, swipe, um, you know, when, when you move back from another screen or even when you get out of your app, it transitioned back into the, the, the home icons. It's just beautiful. Like it, it's all seamless. You go to a group, it opens and it, it blurs everything. Uh, and then you have like the views on top, like all of this, it's like walking from one room to another and it's very transitional. Um, they, they, they have perfected their motion Uh, at the beginning was more, um, there, there were a lot of complaints about motion sickness. I'm hearing a lot more, a lot less of that. So there's definitely like a, a bit of a tweak over time, but also they, they have perfected the way that you can turn off some animations for uh for the motion so motion sickness so yeah you know at the end of the day it depends at which stage that you are in your design which stage that you are in your launch you don't need to sort of like afford every single aspect of accessibility but if you can at least take care of the most important ones such as dynamic type do that at first and if you see like you're starting to get a lot of users complaining about motion sickness sure let's add you know, an option to turn on to turn off animation or let's remove the animations that are too intrusive, which should never have been there in the first place anyways. And uh, yeah, you know, those are some of the things that I would look into.
0: Certainly, um, Apple's video from WW18 about designing fluid interfaces was a real eye opener. They'd worked on the whole gesture-based UI for a very, very long time. It wasn't just a off the cuff kind of choice. And that gave them a lot of time to try things out, realize Man, that doesn't work for that other way, try something else, that didn't work for that way. And there were devices in there about, you know, making really nice, let's say, uh, interruptible animations. It's amazing because it doesn't take a lot of work to do in SwiftUI. It's just baked into it by default. And so you can get interruptibility out of the box. You can have very, very fine grained controls over exactly how your app should work. And really, there's no excuse not to use these because it often is one modifier or two modifiers or maybe maybe in maximum three modifiers to get exactly what you want and have that control. So I'm gonna finish up with one question here, and this is a, a, a big one, but hopefully you'll 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 leave us something on to go away and think about for the rest of the day. Uh, when it comes to uh advice for developers who want to do better at design, they want to take design more seriously in their app, what would you say is your single most important change they could make to improve their designs?
1: A single most important n- number one. You get oh. one choice here. No cheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, typography would be the, mm. the single most important thing that uh, they need to learn. Um, you know, uh, just don't take too too many risks, um, but also take risks. Right? Like there's a fine balance between not taking <laughs> risks and taking and and taking risks. Uh, some developers they they make the jump too high from one point to another and any in in life, whenever you learn something new, the jump should not be too much. You should always focus on few key things that you can do, such as typography, um, colors. It's not very hard, you know, black and white, keep, you keep doing that. That's fine. You, you can use a little bit of uh, opacity on your text, especially if it's black. 80% opacity is great um, so that you have a bit of visual hierarchy. Um, focus on the content. Content is always king. Uh, content is what dictates the design. So how, that's why like a picture uh, UI is very different from a camera UI or very different from a social network UI. That's because the... The content is what dictates the UI and the reac- in, in reactions, uh, interactions as a result. Um, yeah, don't try the, the hamburger menu. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, go go with a tab bar. I will always choose tab bar over hamburger menu anytime. Um, yeah, you know, I, what, one thing I would say is that there are resources out there that really helps you. So for example, refactoring UI is is really great for developers because it allows them to look at some of the, the popular cases for which you have a certain UI. And then how can we improve that based on those action points? And I think the idea of redesigning something is very powerful for learning. So what I would say is as an exercise, take your your app design and try to improve it using all of those action points. And, um, uh, you know, like, try to not learn too much, but just enough so that you, for for example, I'm going to give you an example. The iOS uh, guidelines is something that I would try to learn, especially pertaining to visual design. There's a tab called visual design. It's not very long, but if you can take like 30 minutes reading that, it's going to to help you tremendously for sure. And that's also exactly what I'm going to try to do in my course, is to practice, right? Like um, it's one thing for me to say to you, OK, this is, these are the things that you're going to do. You're probably not going to do it after the stream anyways. But what I want to do is to sort of like, you know, create a course for developers and I'm, I'm, I'm actually someone who's, who's sort of like evolved over time based on that concept of like, get just enough to be dangerous. Learn just enough code to be dangerous. Learn just enough visual design to be dangerous. Just enough web. Just enough Flutter. Just enough React Native. And to have a really good opinion of all of those things. I'm, I'm that kind of person. And some people are like that. Some people are more specialized. Some people are generalists. Some people are you know, really into one single platform. I'm definitely more towards a generalist, but that being said, I have to be good at one thing, otherwise nobody's gonna listen to me. <laughs> so I did start as a designer, um, and I'm sure you start as a, as a developer, if I'm not wrong. Uh, be really good at one thing, and then expand. But the second thing that you, you expand to, don't learn everything at once, otherwise you're gonna lose motivation. So that's what I, what I wanna focus on in my course, is basically to teach you just enough about typography colors spacing uh, design transformation iterations animations all of those things just enough don't get bored have fun and uh, you know create something that, something that you're really passionate about
0: so it's learn some things but not too much take some risks but not too many risks but ultimately be dangerous <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All be right. dangerous. <laughs> well, that's been uh, 90 minutes. Thank you very much for your time, Meng. It's been wonderful having you here. Thank you for answering all the questions. and Thank you for the folks who are coming along to ask all the questions. Where can folks find you on the on the web?
1: So I have a Twitter account, uh, Meng to It's just six letters. And uh, I have design code that I run. I teach designers how to code and I teach developers how to design. I'm really excited about this new course about UI design for developers. I think that there are not enough resources for design for developers, especially to teach them without bullshit, basically like go straight to the point, teach them enough of all of the things that they need in their work to be dangerous. And so uh, that's what I'm working on and hopefully this is going to succeed. It seems to uh, draw a lot of uh, interest and I hope this is the kind of market that we're going to move into because if you think about it, like six years ago, there were no designers who were teaching Xcode at the time and I really, really wanted to, to, to change that. So that's where uh, we we decided, I, I decided to, to create a design plus code and you know, fast forward six years, this is where we are and I believe that We're starting to, to see a lot more designers getting into, uh, SwiftUI now. And I hope we can do the same for uh, developers getting into design. There, there are not enough resources and I want to, I want developers to know that they have so much power, uh, over what they can do because they're the one that codes the whole thing and they just need just enough design to make it really, really awesome. Fantastic.
0: Uh, so folks, if you enjoyed this video, please leave a like. It means a lot, helps YouTube recommend it. You can also subscribe to my channel. I make more videos like this one, teaching you Swift and Swift UI and meeting great folks like Meng. Well, I want to thank my sponsor again, Bitrise, who make it super easy to do continuous integration, continuous delivery, signing, testing, and way, way more all on the web. And they've got a brilliant free plan. Go and check them out, bitrise.io. Once again, thanks to everyone who came along for the live show and brought their questions. And thanks to my guest, Meng, for answering them all so very, very thoroughly. Until so next time, folks, take care. Bye.